quite sure what uh, what day or time it is, and not recording this on the normal microphone that I record the the old podcast on, and uh, really don't know much of anything that's going on uh, because my jet lagged brain won't process any of it. But hello, hi everyone, hello Sam. Who are you? Uh, who is this? Who is Uncle this? Who, who, who am I? Who are you? What is, what's happening? Um, yeah, hey, welcome into this week's edition of the show before the show from MILB.com. My name is Tyler Ron. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. I am in Busan, South Korea. Uh, and we record a, uh, a transcontinental, transcontinental, inter, inter, intercontinental, there you not go. transcontinental. A intercontinental global podcast. podcast global podcast which we seem to end up doing a couple times every year and uh here's our first one for 2019 so hello hello tyler uh you we should say like what you are there for you are calling yeah. baseball games you you're um, talking to us it's 10 16 my time in the morning it is 11 16 p.m on your time it is um, you have it done is. a lot of talking about baseball today uh yeah you saw some incredible games what, what was it netherlands korea and then Chinese Taipei and Panama, right? Yes, yes, two good ones today. Uh, Chinese Taipei knocked off Panama four to one in my early game, and uh, Korea had outlasted the Netherlands five four in extra innings in the late game. Um, USA Baseball for those uh, who would be very interested in that result, they opened up today with an eleven nothing win over uh, South Africa in their opener. Um, so yeah, uh, there's actually almost a monumental upset. The lowest ranked team in the tournament is Spain, and Spain is a team that. It's kind of comprised of of expats, um, guys from Venezuela or Dominican Republic and Cuba, and, um, and uh, as well as some actual uh, natives of the the inside the borders of Spain. And uh, they very nearly knocked off world number one Japan. They were up two nothing on Japan with two outs in the bottom of the eighth, and Japan rallied with two outs and got four runs there and ended up hanging on to win four nothing or four two. Um, but, uh, yeah, an entertaining first day for the U18 Baseball World Cup. And uh, we got four more days to go in uh, group play, uh, the opening round, and then we go to the second round. And then from there, uh, we'll determine the uh, the bronze medal game and the world championship game participants. Um, but should be fun. This USA baseball team two years ago had – uh, out of a 20-man roster, I believe 10 guys were drafted in the first round the next year, uh, including guys like Nolan Gorman with the St. Louis Cardinals organization now, and Matthew Libertor um, with the Tampa Bay Rays, and Ryan Weathers with the San Diego Padres, and uh, Tristan Cassis with the Boston Red Sox, and all these dudes. So um, these are kind of the, the future stars of the game that we get to watch uh, every couple of years with the U18 World Cup. And So yeah, we're having some fun, you know. Yeah, and, and not just that. There are some guys there. I know on that Panama team, there were six guys who were already signed. Yeah, yeah already professionally signed guys. Uh, Panama had, I think, three Giants prospects and a, a Pirates prospect and a Dodgers prospect and a White Sox prospect. And um, the uh, the Netherlands team today had a handful of guys who have already been signed. Um, there are a ton of scouts this morning at the, the Chinese Taipei uh, Panama game, mostly to watch a couple of Chinese Taipei players, uh, a second baseman and a starting pitcher. Um, from that side so yeah it's kind of interesting the the wide array of guys who are either already signed or will be signed pretty soon um and it's uh it's pretty neat we uh uh a few seasons ago got to see uh, a handful of players who came out very closely after um that tournament was over and signed professional contracts whether in the united states or or overseas maybe the most notable one was ji Juan bay who was signed by the atlanta braves right after that tournament 
Um, that contract was later voided when the Braves had all the penalties levied uh, for how they had kind of brazenly conducted themselves on the international market, the amateur market. Uh, so Bay had his contract voided. He's now in the Pittsburgh Pirate system. Um, but, you know, there are tons of guys from that 2017 tournament that are playing in Nippon professional baseball already, Japan's major league. Um the Korea Baseball Organization, uh, Korea's Major League, Chinese Professional Baseball League, which is the the professional league in Taiwan. Um, so it's pretty cool. It's some pretty cool stuff to see. And, uh, and yeah, we've already got some pro talent on the field in this one. Yeah, no, it was, it was a lot of fun to watch last night. Um, you know, I got a little bit of the Panama-Chinese Taipei game. Um, so, yeah, just seeing guys. I, re- I know you mentioned the pitcher and the catcher, but the and you mentioned this on the broadcast too, but the pitcher was a Giants prospect. He was throwing to a Giants prospect who was wearing right. his Giants helmet. Wearing uh, his Giants helmet. Yeah. So if anybody's up during any of these times, um, Tyler's always tweeting out when it, when games are going on. They're streaming on YouTube. Super easy to find. Uh, and it's super accessible. So when you're not watching Mill TV, and we'll get into that later about playoffs coming up and whatever, uh, this is really pure baseball and, and guys representing their country and representing the, the name on the front of their shirt and um, you know, you can say you saw the, these guys before they even hit the minors, never mind the majors. Pretty cool stuff. And uh, with that, we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from MILB.com. Thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. Uh, we're at MILB.com slash podcast. And we are, of course, on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify and everywhere else you can find your shows. And you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription and uh, get in touch with the show. This is the final podcast of the minor league regular season in 2019, which is pretty crazy. It is uh, nearly uh, Labor Day weekend back home in the u.s and uh minor league postseason starting up all over the place and we'll be talking about that here coming up in just a few minutes but uh very unfortunately obviously we are uh we're starting with some tremendously and kind of indescribably heartbreaking news uh for minor league baseball this week in which uh of course on tuesday uh the wife son and mother-in-law of tampa bay rays pitching prospect uh blake bivens all killed in a triple homicide in the state of virginia and um blake a member of the double a montgomery biscuits uh this season we saw uh on Wednesday, um, or on Tuesday, I should say, uh, that the the Biscuits had canceled their doubleheader for that night, and then this news slowly started to come out. And, uh, I mean, we've never really had to cover or talk about anything quite like this before, and I, to be frank, don't know how to put into words the the heartbreak that I think all of us in the baseball community feel over this. Um, but I really have no uh brain to be able to process something like this and the grief that um somebody like blake must be going through right now is is incomprehensible to me yeah i mean this starts as a as a human story um never mind a baseball story i mean that's what brings it into our orbit but at the end of the day three people including a very young child a a loving mother and a by all accounts loving mother-in-law and mother herself and um all that are gone and it was really hard to stomach this and uh blake bivens put out an instagram post i think on thursday um trying to talk his way through it and the the strength that came through in that and how anybody can put anything into words about this is you know impossible really um and he had a a lot of pictures of, of his wife emily um, you know, and of his son and of his mother-in-law. And it, it, you know, I'll read a little bit of it just because I want people to hear 
Blake Bivens' words. It, it starts with, two days ago, my heart was turned to ash. My life as I knew it is destroyed. The pain my family and I feel is unbearable and cannot be put into words. I shake and tremble at the thought of our future without them. But what it goes on to from there is the loving memories he has of, of Emily and, and the love he f- feels for his, his son, who's no longer here, and you know the, the, life, the love he had for his mother-in-law. And it, it ends with, thank you, God, for giving me the most wonderful family in the world. I've been blessed beyond belief. Thank you to all my family and friends who have reached out to me during this time of sorrow. Thank you, Rays and Biscuits, for your support through everything I am comforted by, all the messages and well wishes. I'm not sure what is next for me, but I do, do know God has a plan, even though I can't see it. Um, you know, I think Blake Bivens is going to need all the support he can get uh, just because this is so so unfathomable. And, you know, it's, it seems like the Rays are, are giving him as much support as they can. Montgomery was there Morgan Ensberg there was a story that came out that Morgan Ensberg went back with him to Virginia to make sure he got safe Morgan Ensberg is the manager of the Montgomery Biscuits um you know again you wonder about like can Blake Bivens ever come back to baseball you hope so um but that's the farthest thing from his mind right now it's farthest thing from anybody in the Bivens or Bernard family's minds um you know we just hope he gets all the the love and support he needs and the space he needs and the um, ability to to resume life again because this is really th- difficult and you know our thoughts are, are with everybody in the Bivens and Bernard families um, and you know you, all you can do at a time like this is be there for support and I know there's a a page set up to to help monetarily um, with the Bivens family to to maybe cover funeral costs and cover everything else that's going to come out of this but uh yeah, our thoughts are certainly here with everybody here at MILB.com, and I think everybody in minor league baseball and the baseball community at large uh, is with Blake Bivens this week and going forward. It's, this is not just a one-week story. It's not a one-day story. It's it's going to carry forward, and uh, we all wish nothing but the best for him going forward after something like this. Well said. And um, with that, we, uh, we pivot to talk about the thing that we love and that we know – Blake Bivens loves and uh, and that's baseball and um, the postseason is coming up and uh, Blake and that Montgomery team a team that is um, well acquainted with the postseason chase and uh, all across the minor leagues of course uh, starting next week playoffs will begin uh, from AAA on down and uh, Sam just give us kind of a, a preview of the the postseason picture as it is shaped up in these final few days yeah so one thing I do want to point out is that the biscuits have made. Uh, the postseason for the first time in their 16-year history, um, which is really incredible. And they're going to be playing with really heavy hearts. I know uh, the the stadium in Montgomery, they set up a, a thing behind home plate that says Biv, um, just kind of in, in thoughts with, with Blake Bivens. And if you need a team to root for in the playoffs, I think the Montgomery Biscuits is, is a great place to start. Um, but kind of expanding outside of that, uh, the some of the races that I'm going to be watching particularly are – one starting in the Texas League. Uh, Arkansas and Amarillo have already clinched their spots there. Um, Arkansas, we've talked about a bunch this year. Uh, really exciting team. They brought up talent like Jared Kalenic, uh, and or Jared Kelenic. Uh Kyle Lewis is already there. Justin Dunn is already there. They got Justice Sheffield got moved up to the majors, but Evan White is still there. Uh, Logan Gilbert has been shoving for them the last couple of weeks. Uh, that Arkansas team is just going to be crazy. Um, moving higher up, 
there the uh, the International League a lot is still unsettled by that. So before we even get to the postseason, that this last weekend is going to kind of be fun to watch. There's a wild card chase right now between Charlotte, Durham, Scranton, Wilkesbury, and Syracuse. Uh, Charlotte's obviously a fascinating team with Nick Madrigal and Luis Robert. We would like to see more of them, more of them to play. We'll get into this later. Don't think either one is going to be a September call-up. Uh, but Durham going for a three-peat in that IL, trying to chase down Charlotte in that wild card race. Really interesting to watch there. Columbus has already clinched. Gwinnett is on the verge of clinching. So those are some of the other teams to watch out for. Um, moving much further down, one other one I think people should kind of keep an eye on right now. In the New York Penn League, uh, we talked about them, I think, last week when we were previewing playoff races. Uh, as of today, uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones are one game behind Hudson Valley and Aberdeen uh, in that McNamara division. But the Brooklyn Cyclones actually brought up Matthew Allen, their third-round pick from this year, and Brett Beatty, their first-round pick from this year, kind of in hopes that if they do make the playoffs, they have those guys there and ready. Um, both have played in the GCL. Beatty also played in Kingsport. Uh, the GCL and the Florida State League, we haven't mentioned this yet, have their postseasons canceled uh, because of the hurricane coming in and, and worries about getting players out and travel and all that sorts of stuff. So um, because of that, you're going to maybe see some more movement. Uh, maybe Wander Franco joins Mont- Montgomery now that Charlotte is no longer playing in the FSL. Um, but we'll, we'll get that get to that when that happens. There's no word on that yet. Um, but it, does, it may have an effect on that New York Penn League race. And if Brooklyn makes uh, the playoffs there in the New York Penn League. That team could be fascinating. Uh, I want to also add that they are tied atop the wild card standings right now with Aberdeen. So even if they don't win the division, they still have a very good chance uh, of making the playoffs. So you're going to want to keep an eye on that Brooklyn team if you're a Mets fan for sure. Uh, one other team I want to shout out real quick is Del Marva, uh, who has had a sh- extremely strong year front to finish. Uh, They've actually had three straight hitless starts by their pitching staff. Uh, I got to see them a little bit on Tuesday. I went to cover a story about Adley Rutschman. The top overall pick is with Delmarva. He's going to be with them throughout the playoffs. You're going to want to see him anyways. But seeing him guide that staff, who is headed by Grayson Rodriguez, the number two prospect in the Orioles system, who threw six no-hit innings on Thursday, um, that Delmarva team has as good a chance as anybody, I think, to win their league. Uh, can they keep that going? Can they keep this going strong? Rutschman seems to be turning things around with the bat. I saw him homer on Tuesday. Uh, the bat's never going to be a worry, but he is coming off a long college season, obviously, and, and playing now deep into August and September. Uh, how can he keep that up? So lots of things to follow pretty much in every league. Uh, no matter where you're going to go, you're, you're not going to miss something. And just know that, yes, this extends the season for a lot of these guys, but these guys care. Even when we're, when we're talking to guys in May and June and when they're wrapping up first half division titles they always say hey this is to get the ring at the end of the season whether they're there or whether they're getting the ring for the next guy who will be there um, so you know, playoffs seems like they're extending the season sometimes in the minor leagues but know that the guys who are playing them do care about those games and are trying to get rings to begin their minor league careers and something they can hopefully carry and reproduce at the major league level strike two this week as we move along in three strikes uh, the Minor league postseason race obviously coming to a, a boil. Uh, major league postseason race getting close as well. And September call-ups always a, a topic as this time of year rolls around. Um, give us a preview of what's coming up next month. Uh, actually, it's really almost this month here because <laughs> living in the future. But tell us about uh, some September call-ups. 
Yeah, for just a day away for you, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so I did a tool shed on this September call-up preview. Um, I, I'll just blow through the guys who are more than likely to get called up. Kyle Tucker coming off a 30-30 season at Round Rock. Obviously got jumped over by Jordan Alvarez in the Astros system, but uh, is still good enough. He's on the 40-man roster. The Astros are going for it. They're going to use whatever help they can get, even if he doesn't get that many at-bats in September. There's nothing good they can get out of keeping him at home. Uh, Brendan McKay has been dealing with a little bit of shoulder fatigue, but the Rays have said that's not really a worry. He was sent down to Durham, so technically he needs to be called back up when they deem that he's healthy. I think that's obviously going to happen. What role he plays, we'll see, because he struggled as a starter. Carter Keboom uh, came up briefly at the end of April when Trey Turner was hurt. Uh, really struggled then, both offensively and defensively, has been with AAA Fresno ever since, but was a PCL postseason all-star because of the way the things he showed with the bat. Uh, again, not somebody they can afford to just leave at home. Maybe he tries to compete at that second-base job in Washington, uh, try to carve out a role for himself there, going up against Brian Dozier and Nesdrubal Cabrera, obviously veterans who are not going to be around forever. Um, but he, he's fighting an uphill battle there because of the way he struggled earlier in the year. Uh, Kyle Wright has had some struggles this year with the Braves, but again, uh, maybe he he takes on a bullpen role with Atlanta down the stretch as they try to lock up the NL East. Uh, Logan Allen with the Indians, he struggled a bit in the majors when he was with the Padres. Uh, he came up for one appearance with the Indians, I think it was two and a third innings out of the bullpen. Uh, he made a start again with Columbus. He's only started in the, in the minor leagues, uh, but the Indians trying to either catch up to the Twins or hold off some other teams in the wild card. He could play a role. He's going to be fastball heavy. He's got a, a decent slider and a, a plus changeup. Uh, that could certainly work out of the bullpen as he irons out some of those issues, trying to figure out how to get major league batters out at least one time through the lineup. Um, the possibilities are much more interesting to me. Those are guys who are, I think, definitely coming up. Is Gavin Lux coming up? Lord knows he, he has pushed the envelope, done everything with AAA Oklahoma City that he possibly could do. Um, the Dodgers have said it's a possibility he'll be here, but he might not be here in an active role, which I kind of hate. It feels like an internship without actually doing anything. It's like bring your top prospect to work day, um, which you know it basically means he'll be in the clubhouse, he'll be in the dugout, but he can't actually play. Uh, bring him up, like give him his chance. I, I think that's going to be the best for the Dodgers. Um, maybe it doesn't work out, and that's fine, but at least give him the, the opportunity that he has earned for sure. Jesus Luzardo is kind of going up against the clock. He's been trying to show that he's healthy, coming back from some injury problems this year. Uh, he started to make some starts at AAA Las Vegas. His last outing went four, four and two-thirds scoreless innings. He threw 84 pitches. Those were both the longest, you know, the most innings he had thrown and the most pitches he had thrown in any outing yet this season. So I think he's proving his health. The A's going for it in that AL wild card. Um, they're going to use whatever arms they can. They've shown that with A.J. Puck. Jesus Luzardo could be the next guy to fit that. Uh, Ian Anderson with the Braves is actually going to be really interesting. They've brought him up to AAA Gwinnett. He struggled a little bit, uh, taking his lumps there, but who hasn't as a pitcher this year at the AAA level? You'll remember last year the Braves brought up Kyle Wright. They brought up Bryce Wilson. They brought up Tukey Toussaint. Uh, Colby Allard got looks. This is not a team that is afraid to give young pitchers a chance. And Anderson has shown, as others have struggled this year, that he probably is the top pitching prospect in that system. Now being one step away, does he get that chance to bring his fastball, curveball, changeup mix to the majors? Uh, Davey Garcia is going to be really interesting to watch. The Yankees have said 
if he comes up, it'll be in a relief role. He started to make relief appearances at AAA Scranton Wilkesbury. The stuff will definitely play. His fastball and curveball are good enough uh, for the majors. But the Yankees bullpen is also particularly loaded. Do you bring him up into the bullpen <clears throat> and have him just eat innings? Does he actually get a chance in high leverage situations? Uh, it seems like he was deemed untradeable at the deadline. It's not, he's not somebody they wanted to give up. Okay, great. Now is his chance to show how good he can be at the major league level. Uh, what do the Yankees do with him? He's a possibility. I feel like it's going to happen, um, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. A uh, couple to don't hold your breath on, uh, and this will transition well into our next topic. Uh, Joe Adele, when he was called up to AAA Salt Lake, thought there might be a chance that he could play alongside Mike Trout in the season's final month. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. Uh, Luis Robert, as much as I think, you know, as, as much as I want to go to bat for Gavin Lux, I would equally go to bat for Luis Robert. Um, but unlike the Dodgers, the White Sox don't really have anything to play for in September. They're not going to burn service time on Luis Robert um, just to give him a chance. It seems more likely that they're going to take his year, let it be successful, uh, and, and maybe play for a 2020 opening day spot, kind of like what Pete Alonso did last year and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Chris Paddock. Uh, and Dylan Carlson with the Cardinals, he was named the Texas League MVP. He's moved up to AAA Memphis, has absolutely been killing it there to the point where you think, like, okay, you know, the Cardinals should maybe consider it. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. Their outfield, they already have enough problems trying to find at-bats for everybody in their outfield. They're not going to do that with Carlson. Carlson and Adele have, were actually named to the Arizona Fall League this year, and because of the Arizona Fall League rule changes and schedule changes, uh, that starts in the middle of September. Really difficult to imagine the Angels and Cardinals letting those guys go, only to be like, no, 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 never mind, we actually want you in the majors. Um, so that seems to slam the door shut on that. But, like I said, that transitions well into our next topic. It does. Strike three this week. The Arizona Fall League, the uh, kind of refreshed look Arizona Fall League, new or updated logos for all six teams uh, for the 2019 season and beyond. Gives a preview of what's coming up, uh, rosters, coaching staffs, all that kind of stuff out there. Um, the the AFL with its usual cadre of intrigue for this season. Yeah, no, it, this AFL is actually really exciting. It is every year, um, but I really like the way this is going to come together. I'm actually very interested to talk to players about what they think about the the season moving up and, and just keeping that momentum going. It seems like farm directors didn't like the layoff so much, but I wonder what the players are going to say about that because I feel like after a long season in which everybody talks about the grind of baseball, it is kind of nice to have a break and then get rewarded with a trip to Arizona where you can show off your stuff. We'll see how players respond to that. Maybe they like it. A lot of these guys are there to make up for lost innings, lost game time, um, so maybe they just can't wait to play. Uh, but 20 of MLB.com's top 100 prospects are scheduled to go to the AFL according to this week's release. I'll burn through them real quick, and I'll give you some teams to watch after that. Uh, Joe Adele, who we mentioned, Royce Lewis and Alex Kirloff from the Twin System. Forrest Whitley, who's really struggled this year in the Astro System, but is building back up. He's going back to the AFL for a second time. Uh, Joey Bart, Jared Kelnick, who we already mentioned with Arkansas in the Mariner System. Alec Bohm, Nolan Jones, Nico Horner, who was a standout in last year's AFL. He's going back as well. Dylan Carlson, we already mentioned. Julio Rodriguez getting the chance to play next to Kelnick uh, on a Peoria roster. Elliot Ramos, O'Neill Cruz, Daniel Lynch, Luis Garcia of the Washington National System. Uh, Miguel Amaya, Andres Jimenez, Jonathan India, Shane Boz, and Seth Beer, now of the D-backs, formerly of the Astros. Um, so 20, that's a solid list, obviously. Uh, 
there are five guys of the top 20, them being Adele, Lewis, Kirilov, Whitley, and Bart. Um, some of the teams that I'm looking forward to, there are actually four with four top 100 prospects each. They're Mesa, Salt River, Peoria, and Scottsdale. I know teams change every year, and you're not necessarily going to be a fan of, hey, I'm a big Scottsdale Scorpions fan, unless you're a fan of new logos, which we can talk about later. Um, but that that Mesa team, I think, is going to be really interesting. Horner coming back, Adele trying to show hey, maybe it was a mistake to, to not bring me up to the majors. Miguel Amaya has been super young everywhere he plays. How is he going to work with a new pitching staff? That'll be really interesting. And Nolan Jones trying to take his uh, approach, which is usually walk-heavy and strikeout-heavy, but also really gap-heavy uh, to the to the next level and, and getting challenged against some really good hitters, or uh, pitchers, rather, excuse me. Uh, Salt River will be good because it, it's got that Lewis and Kirilov combination uh, those guys seem to be paired up wherever they go. They're going to continue the, the, that this fall with the, the Rafters. But also Shane Boz, who I had a tool shed on a couple weeks ago, um, has really started to make gains again in the race system, had fallen back a little bit with the Pirates, then got traded uh, in last year's Chris Archer deal. Uh, the Rays have said, hey, we really like your fastball. Just go fastball heavy for now. What happens when he brings that against guys who have been in AAA, who have been in AA? That'll be really interesting. And, and Seth Beer trying to make a better impression with the D-backs. He's, his production has dropped off a little bit since he moved from the Astros at the deadline, but uh, no doubt his bat is going to play, and I, I think he has a real chance to be one of the standouts with the bat there. Um, Peoria is going to be fascinating to me as well, just to touch on them real quick. Uh, because of Whitley, like we said, this is somebody who really has something to prove again. He's not only trying to make up for, for lost innings because of shoulder fatigue, but um, you know he really struggled during his time at AAA. He started to find himself again at AA, now going up against top talent again. What can he do with that, and how will the stuff play? And then just getting the chance to see Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez in the same outfield. Um, you know, Those guys started out together at West Virginia this year, um, Rodriguez got hurt. Kelnick eventually moved up to Modesto. Now he's at Arkansas. Rodriguez is now at Modesto and has been tearing the cover off the ball there. Uh, how can he carry that momentum with him? What will it be like for Kelnick? Can he continue to stand out against advanced competition? This is his first full season. Uh, this is the first full season for both of these guys. Rodriguez jumped straight from the DSL. Uh, what can they do to add even more juice to the Mariner system that's obviously on the up and up? So we'll dig into more of these as the AFL uh, season comes up closer, but uh, these are just some kind of snap judgments right now. And, and it's going to be very close. The AFL season starts the day after the AAA National Championship, which is coming much sooner than you think. That is pretty crazy. And uh, that will do it for three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show. Joining us this week on the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show, coming to you live from Woodbridge, Virginia, where apparently there's an ambulance or something <laughs> going on. We've got real on-the-scenes coverage, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, yeah a, yeah, a fire truck has just gone by, but uh, okay. hopefully the noise dies down, and hopefully the fire can be put out safely and quickly. Yeah, if I was to prioritize that, I would say hopefully they can take care of whatever they need to take care of. And then we'll take care of this silly podcast after that. Uh, but Ben, how are you? You're on the road now. You just visited the Potomac Nationals. How are things going? Yeah, going pretty well. I'm in a parking lot of a country inn and suites in Woodbridge, Virginia, off the uh, Prince William Parkway. 
It is a quintessential American landscape, meaning that all I can see in every direction are parking lots, office parks, and chain stores. There's a Bank of America here, a Chipotle here, a uh, Smoky Bones barbecue across the street. Uh, this is America. That that it, I mean, they are the nationals, right? That's they should be <laughs> something like that. I don't know. Fill in your own joke there. But um, it, yeah. it's an interesting time for you to have visited the Peanuts. Uh, you were there for their game last night, which was the last at Fitzner Stadium. I should say Northwest Federal Fitzner Stadium. Um, one of the I, I, I don't know what adjective I would want to use on that. What, what would you how would you dec- describe the Fitz and everything that's gone into trying to leave it, and now that it's finally coming up that they're moving to Fredericksburg next year. Uh, just take us through the scene last night and what it was like to be there the last night there. Yeah, well, Fitzner Stadium, it's been around for, uh, I believe, since 1984. Um, and, you know, it never got old enough to be historic, but for a long time, a long, long time, it wasn't new enough to feel anything but old, if that makes sense. I mean, uh, I think the UFOB adjective uh, euphemism we've used for years with these kind of parts is venerable oh, <laughs> meaning you, you know <laughs> meaning they they stick around and it, and, it, and this place does have its charm um Fitzner stadium it's in a weird location i mean obviously this whole general area you know people quantify distances and travel time a lot of the time through route 95 but this ballpark is not you know it's still a ways away from 95 it's in a uh, like government office park uh, so it's a kind of strange location. And, you know, it's been described, and I think accurately so, as kind of a glorified high school field. I mean, you just have a small grandstand, uh, a bank of bleachers on each side down first and third base. Um, you know, a kind of dingy, narrow, you know, concourse, you know, with no view of the field and an external concourse. Um, it is an old park, and it's operationally very difficult. And, uh, there have been plans in the works, you know, in one form or another to get out of there for the better part of a decade. I've covered it through the years. Uh, I talked to the team's owner, Art Silber, maybe four or five years ago when the plan was to um, to stay in Prince William County near Woodbridge, where they are now. But that fell through. Uh, now they're going to Fredericksburg, Virginia, which is not too far away. But again, with the traffic in this area, when you move maybe 45 minutes away or, you know, 35, 40 miles away. It seems prohibitive. So you do have some angry fans who, even though this isn't a relocation where they're going to, you know, a whole other region of the country, there are some fans who feel alienated. But I think big picture, it's very understandable uh, why this ballpark is leaving the minor league landscape. And, of course, it comes with an asterisk. Um, One, as we talk right now, you know, Potomac is about two games back in the playoff race. Probably not going to make it, but they could make the playoffs. There could be playoff baseball at Fitzner. And uh, construction on the new ballpark is underway. Uh, but it got kind of a late start, and, you know, we've seen it happen in recent years, whether it's, you know, Hartford, Biloxi, El Paso. You know, we've seen some late openings of new ballparks. So they could also maybe return to Fitzner next year to at least start the season. That's TBD. But for all intents and purposes, I came here to, you know, say goodbye to a venerable facility. Yeah, no, venerable is a great way of putting that. And what was the atmosphere like? I know you said that uh you know people around there some of them might not be happy that they're going to fredericksburg but uh, at least it is staying generally in the area do people have an attachment to that stadium i mean is it like closing a big stadium i know they gave out dirt uh to the first 750 <laughs> yeah. fans just so they can cling to something but um what was the the fan reaction last night knowing that that might be the last time they see the fits yeah i mean there was definitely some emotion i mean i think the team 
um, in this kind of transitional year, they, you know, kind of, I don't want to say one foot out the door, but, you know, they, they cut back on season ticket perks and, um, you know, condensed their marketing budget and, you know, took away things like Thirsty Thursday and the mascot, and even the mascot wasn't there. You know, I think they're really kind of stockpiling their resources for the new stadium. So I think the whole year for a lot of fans has been like, well, I guess that's the end of this. Um, I can't say it culminated in some grand event yesterday, but of course, when you have a ballpark, a professional ballpark uh, for over three decades, there are going to be a lot of people, and generationally speaking, a lot of people, you know, who, who went there as kids, who brought their own kids there, you know, who grew up there, who went there as kids, teens, adults, um, you know, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of people with a lot of memories. And uh, there was a pretty decent crowd last night when I was there uh, for the penultimate game on uh, Wednesday. You know, that was a pretty dead atmosphere. But yesterday, I think a lot of people came out. Maybe some of them were enticed by the dirt. I thought that was a creative and kind of fun thing the team did. Uh, I was talking to the general manager, Brian Holland, and he said, you know, before our interns all left, you know, and a lot of them go back to college, he's like, the final thing we did was set up an assembly line and bag some dirt so we could get some dirt away on the final game of the season. Um, and that's quintessential minor league baseball for you. But I talked to quite a few fans over the last two games, and especially yesterday, um, you know, who obviously had a lot of emotion, whether they're members of the Booster Club. Um, you know, I talked to a you know, father-daughter duo. You know, the daughter's now 14, and she's been going there since she was four. Um, you know, that kind of thing. You know, groups of friends uh, who've, who've been there through the years. You know, five years ago, I wrote a story about Ken's Place, a kind of rowdy group of older gentlemen who always went to the game. And while they're not as intact as they used to be, you know, things like that. You know, there's you, when you're home for 70 games a year over three decades, you know, that's a lot of memories. And it doesn't really matter, you know, how – you know, dumpy the ballpark is or whatever, you know, that's a receptacle for a lot of memories. And it meant a lot to, you know, a lot of people. And it was, it was cool to say goodbye to that. Even if the game itself, you know, didn't have a lot of stuff around it that was saying explicitly, you know, this is the end. Yeah. And speaking of memories, I was going to ask, because you have been to Potomac before, obviously, when you went on your tour of every minor league ballpark, you're revisiting it again. Now, how are you going to remember the fits? Uh, going forward. I, I know it might be a little too close now, but uh, when you look back on your time and your visits there, what will be your mo- most memorable moments or parts of it um, going forward? I mean, I think uh, just big picture that, yeah, it is kind of a dump. Yes, you go there and you say like, Oof, I can't believe this place is still hosting minor league baseball. But I like places like that because I think it brings out, you know, you know, more hardcore fans. So then you have more personality around the fan base. I really did enjoy in 20, uh, 2015, I believe, you know, talking to those, those guys I mentioned, uh, Ken's place, the leader of that group, Dusty Rhodes was a real character. Um, I always remember those guys and, uh, you know, the sort of energy they brought to the park with their catchphrases of hubba hubba. And, um, you know, the team, not something I experienced directly a lot, but, you know, I'll be writing about this. You know, the team, I think, you know, being one of the so-called have-nots on the minor league landscape, um, you know, they cut it back a little this year, but they did a great job with, you know, creative promos and, you know, all the uh, half-man, half-beast, you know, bobbleheads they did through the years, like, uh, you know, the Bryce Harbor Bryce Harper gobblehead where he was a turkey and they celebrated Fitzgiving and, uh, you know, tied into a Thanksgiving thing, you know, the uh, – Roger Bernardino, half shark, half man, Anthony or Anthony Rendon, uh, Anthony, and he was like half man, half ant. That sort of thing, you know. I always enjoyed covering uh, Potomac, whether I was there or not, for uh, the creative spirit they brought to a you know 
far less than ideal operating situation. And I was talking to the, you know, again, Brian Holland, the, the team's general manager, and he said, you know, things are going to be different in a new ballpark, but I think we have to retain that spirit. And, you know, I, I certainly hope they do. But this is the kind of place to go, you know, for a pretty low cost, you know, get some bleacher seats. Uh, you might bake in the sun for a little bit, but if you want to be around real baseball fans and this is a, you know, a Washington Nationals affiliate playing in Washington Nationals territory. You see a lot of, you know, big names come through. So if, if this is a great environment, you know, for being a fan of a parent club and really getting to know the guys, you know, on the way to the major leagues. And even when I was there on Wednesday, Ryan Zimmerman was rehabbing. It was kind of surreal to see this veteran major leaguer in this quiet old ballpark, you know, Class A advanced on a Wednesday night. There he is at first base. And I think those are the kind of uh, memories that are, you know, you really hold on to, uh, especially when the place isn't there anymore. Hmm. Well, speaking of old ballparks, your next stop, you're about to get in the car, drive two hours to Hagerstown, home of the Suns, to see Municipal Stadium, which opened, I believe, in 1930. Um, still going strong, according to the website. They, they are under lease to play there until the 2021 season. Uh, and that could be extended. You know, we all know that. Um, what are you looking forward to about this trip to go see the Suns? Well, yeah, seeing an old stadium in a challenging environment. You know, it's far older than Potomac, but I think there's a lot of similarities there um, in that it's a ballpark that, I, you know, I think there's been efforts to replace it for a long time, and, you know, understandably so. Um, in fact, one of the things that fell through in Hagerstown in terms of them relocating was Fredericksburg. They got pretty far down the line with a new park in Fredericksburg, and it fell through, and that's where Potomac ended up going. So I think there are some similarities there. This is very much a no-frills facility, and I think, uh, you know, working, you know, work, minor league baseball is so many different landscapes, but if you're working for a team like the Hagerstown Suns, you're going to face a lot of challenges just in terms of the layout of the space, the room you have to move, how old the ballpark is, you know, a, a smaller market. Um, I like those situations because, again, it brings out the diehards and it kind of brings out some creativity in the staff to make the best of a uh, less than ideal situation. So I'm looking forward to seeing that again. Uh, I haven't been there since 2011, end of the season in 2011. Uh, so that's eight years. So I'm just looking to refresh my own memories and, uh, you know, hopefully meet some interesting people, hopefully find some eccentric people, maybe do some fan profiles. Uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but I'm definitely looking forward to uh, – to be in there again and closing out my season travels in Hagerstown, Maryland, the home of the Suns. Hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about that more next week after you have visited them and going to be interested to see how a stadium that opened in 1930 is still operating in 2019. Uh, Ben, before we let you go, you had a fun story this week on the AAA Iowa Cubs uh, leaning into politics. Usually if you're on Twitter long enough, people try to tell you to stick to sports and get out of politics. Iowa leaning into it in an almost non-political manner, if that makes sense. They are becoming the Iowa caucuses, celebrating the fact that they are the first state uh, to take on you know presidential primaries or caucuses. Uh, for one night, they will become the caucuses. They're not dressed as an elephant. They're not dressed as a donkey or anything like that. Um, just a happy state of Iowa, you know, red, white, and blue cap and, and uniform. Uh, what can you tell us about how that idea has come together? Yeah, you know, the uh, the Iowa Cubs, you know, are a team that, you know, as their name would kind of make clear, uh, you know, a more conservative team as regards their approach to uh, promotions. This is the first year they've done any sort of alternate identities. They took part in the COPA program and did the uh, – suited up as the Demonios, uh, which is a play on demons, which is – 
itself a play on Des Moines, but the Demons were a team in uh, Des Moines history decades ago. And, you know, so they uh, put their Copa identity around that, Copa de la Diversion. And um, so caucuses now is the first time they've done a standalone identity. And like you said, you know, <laughs> politics is an incredibly dicey uh, subject, especially when you're an entity like a sports team who's trying to stay everything down the middle, and the Cubs are definitely trying to stay down the middle with this. Just saying, we're celebrating Iowa's first in the nation role, you know, in terms of voting, or their first in the nation status in terms of the fact that the caucuses take part. You know, they kick off the primary season and are therefore, you know, have outsized importance uh, in the electoral process. The team is celebrating that. The logo is an anthropomorphic state of Iowa you know, holding up a uh, red, white, and blue uh, foam finger that says first on it. Uh, The logos were designed by Studio Simon, uh, Dan Simon of Studio Simon, who's obviously done a lot of great work uh, in the minor league baseball realm for a lot of years. He was actually the guy who did uh, the New Hampshire primaries identity, uh, which was going to, as we've talked about on this podcast before, was the original identity of uh, the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. They originally said they were going to be the primaries, and uh, then after a lot of outcry, and this was a different era of minor league baseball, when negative publicity regarding t- team names was not embraced, you know, as it is now, so they changed it. But it's kind of cool that Dan Simon, you know, well over a decade later, he did the primaries, and now he's doing the caucuses. And uh, I think it's a really cool look. Uh, I think it's good to celebrate. You know, no matter where you stand politically, obviously it's extremely dicey, but I do think we should celebrate democracy, voting, encourage people to vote. Uh, you know, the team's going to have people from the Iowa Secretary, Secretary of State's office out at the ballpark, uh, or they did. Or wait, when's this promo? I'm losing track of the days. It's tonight. It's tonight. They will. <laughs> they will have people from the uh, Iowa Secretary of State's office. Uh, you know, registering people or having them update their information or just, uh, you know, sharing information about uh, the caucus process because it is different than a primary. And I don't know, you know, even myself, all the specifics of, you know, what differentiates a caucus from a primary, but it is like a caucus, meaning a group. You have to get, you know, you have to attend an event and uh, go through more of a process with a caucus. And I wish I knew more about it. And I wish I was at the game tonight and I could learn about it from the Iowa Secretary of State's office. And that, you know, that would be a, a good experience to have at a minor league baseball game. But it's a cool identity. And uh, as a little aside, Eddie Vetter had a flight delayed in Des Moines. He was at a gun control symposium in Des Moines. Uh, his flight got delayed, so he stopped by Principal, Ball, uh, Principal Park and bought some caucuses gear. So there you have it. Mm. And uh, I think based on my political science minor, if I can remember my college days, caucuses are mostly, like you said, gatherings. They're people getting together, and sometimes they're in people's homes, sometimes they're in high school gyms, uh, high school auditoriums, wherever you can get everybody together in your town. Uh, And sometimes it's like, okay, everybody who supports candidate A get in this corner. Everybody who supports candidate B gets in this corner. People are elected um, to you know, speak on behalf of the candidates and all that kind of stuff. It's it's much more high participation than just getting in and you know, filling in a bubble and getting a sticker, um, which I can kind of appreciate. And I, I'll be interested to see how they kind of lean into that at the ballpark, whether they have people get up and move around to support. I don't know the first baseman or the third baseman or something like that. I think that there's a lot of fun participation ways to uh, celebrate this. But we'll be looking for that tonight. Uh, by the time you guys hear this, check out to see how Iowa caucuses night went. Follow Ben on Twitter to see how his trip to Hagerstown went and look out for all the content coming from these trips to Potomac and uh, Hagerstown. He's at Ben's Biz on Twitter 
or you can follow his stuff online at milb.com slash Ben's Biz. Uh, ben, safe travels to Hagerstown. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you back here in New York next week. Yeah, good talking to you, Sam, and uh, I'm sorry that you are neither on my left or right. You are in another state, and we are uh, talking to the phone lines, but, you know, I feel like you're on all sides of me. That's, that's, that's how this works, yes. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show, MILB.TV is your home for the minor league baseball playoffs. And uh, with that, we're not going to pick games because um, everything is big during the minor league playoffs. So get your MILB.TV subscription for the uh, final couple of weeks of the 2019 minor league baseball campaign, as crazy as that is. And uh, really, that's just about going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks for taking the lead on everything, man. I guess, uh, you know. Get used to it for the next few weeks. <laughs> no, it's all right. We, it, this week was a, a crazy week all around. You flew literally across the globe. I won't even say halfway across the globe, literally across the globe. Uh, there were a lot of postseason all-star stuff. There's a lot of season wrap-up stuff uh, going on this week. Um, as you guys heard from Ben, you know he, he's on the road this week, so a uh, lot going on. But we'll, the podcast is going to keep trucking on. Like we always have, thank you for your patience and, and waiting for it to come out this week. And, uh, yeah, we'll be excited to dive into actual playoff baseball next time. And uh, that'll do it. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Marl. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.